Welcome back inside the Com Radio Football Insiders podcast for our second ever podcast. I'm Andrew Dustin alongside Andrew Field, DJ Bauer, and Zach Donaldson. And Penn State enters week three of the Big Ten season sitting and miraculously in last place of the Big Ten East. The Nittany Lions, they lost Ohio State on Halloween 38-25 to and now they're 0-2 for the first time since 2012. Penn State's lost four in a row now to Ohio State. This team's reeling. Um, so guys... Are the wheels coming off this team? And I guess what went wrong against the Buckeyes? I wouldn't say that the wheels are coming off. I'd say that they've kind of had just a couple like rough breaks to start the beginning of the year. Obviously, a lot of that comes down to the injury issues that they've had to deal with. And every year dealing, you know, with your top two running backs are out, both Ernie Brown and Noah Kane. Brown out indefinitely, Kane out for the entire season. That's a tough blow to come back from. Um, you'll take a look that I, I think the downfalls in the Ohio State game for Penn State were different from the ones in the Indiana game because in the Indiana game, they dominated in terms of time of possession, in terms of yardage. That's a game they should have won, but they really shot themselves in the foot because of all the turnovers, all the penalties, all the missed field goals. That's the reason they lost the Indiana game. The reason they lost the Ohio State game, completely different. They cleaned up all of those things. They pretty much had no turnovers, just a late garbage time interception. Penalties were low, uh, didn't miss any field goals. The reason they lost that game is just because they could not find the power to overcome like a powerhouse like Ohio State is. They couldn't get pressure on Justin Fields. Uh, you know, he pretty much had free roam all day. They couldn't get a stop on third down. Uh, you know, Ohio State converted 10 third downs on the day, which is insane. Um, and in general, they couldn't get anything going on the ground either. Uh, Penn St- or Ohio State's um, you know, ground game was just completely snuffing it out all the time. They only had 44 yards on the ground. So, you know, I guess it comes down to, to fixing play calling and, and getting that pass rush a little bit more fearsome like it has been in years past. But I'd say that the loss for Ohio State was a much more uh, encouraging loss than the Indiana one because it shows that Penn State at least was able to return to form in terms of not playing sloppy football. Yeah, DJ, you were spot on right there. You covered most of it. Penn State certainly um, has had a lot of hurdles to jump over early on this season, and and that doesn't you know bode, bode well from them, especially opening the season against two um, pr- pretty stellar opponents in um, Indiana and Ohio State. Um, but back to the question, I don't think that the wheels are completely coming off this Penn State football team. It's still a very good team, still a lot of talent, and I, I think the DJ was spot on with a lot of what he said. But I'll, I'll say that the reason that we Penn State didn't beat Ohio State was because of the slow start. I thought, I personally, I didn't think a, after the game ended, I was like, Penn State didn't really play that bad of a game. I was overall somewhat satisfied of how the Nittany Lions played. Um, but I, I just think it goes, goes back to the slow start in the first half. The play calling was questionable. Um, it seemed like run, run, pass, punt um, was what what was what was being repeated uh, by the offense, and it was, it was pretty predictable um, in my mind. And um, also the the protection up front on on both or the the line of scrimmage, excuse me. Um, Penn State was out battled up there too as well. Um, my number one question, I said this um, last week in the pregame show, that was my number one question was how is each team going to come out? And it was clear that Ohio State came out firing. I mean, the, the first play from scrimmage was a 62-yard end around um, that got the Buckeyes in, in the red zone immediately. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the slow start and just 
not not getting the fields, letting him carve up the defense and um on the offensive side of the ball, just no signs of life. And I think Penn State dug um got into a hole that was too big to climb out of. Yeah, Donaldson took the words right out of my mouth. Predictability is really what I would say to describe, especially the first half on offense for Penn State against Ohio State last weekend. I think a prime example of that is that Ohio State was in Penn State's backfield time and time again because they knew pretty much what was going to happen. I think Kirk Scirocco was very predictable and just was those plays were really kind of just seen by the Ohio State defensive line and they signaled that in and they basically were there every time and as soon as Sean Clifford got the snap whether it was a read option whether even even if it was a pass he had no time really to get the ball out and when he did he couldn't connect with the receivers in the first half however in the second half Penn State did make an adjustment we've said this as well James Franklin has been good at making second half adjustments and the whole second half team notion has been uh, heard and said throughout the past couple years, and it was seen again. The offense really did look better. I think Clifford getting the ball out quickly and quick passing routes is really the way to go, and instead of running a quarterback draw every fifth play where he would get smashed by the Ohio State defensive line, I think it was a smarter move to do that. I think really Penn State did benefit, and they looked better, and that's where they made it more of a competitive ball game because when Zach said you know that 62-yard end round, that play started that game, it was not a pretty start, to say the least, for Penn State. And they bounced back. They did make it a game, but I think that, you know, it, it's tough to play that Ohio State team. That Ohio State team's loaded with talent all throughout the board. So I think that in terms of the wheels falling off, I wouldn't say they are. I think that really Penn State has everything in front of them to have a have a season, have a good year. They just have to really bounce back and how they bounce back from two losses, back-to-back losses, and being the only winless team in the Big Ten East, if I might add. How do they do that? Well, it starts with Maryland on Saturday, and if they can come out strong, Franklin said he was encouraged by the team's practice this week, and I think that really if they bounce back and create some momentum moving forward, I think that's really what's going to get the wheels back on track. We talked about some of the problems in, you know, really, I guess, the entire game in total there from Penn State. But, you know, next thing I want to talk about is the defense for me. That's something that really stood out was, you know, a unit that gave up 38 points and 526 yards to the Buckeyes and Justin Fields. And, you know, he's no slouch at the quarterback position. There's a reason that Fields and company put up the numbers that they did. But but Brent Pry's units are typically, they're among the best in the country. And, you know, last year was no different. Obviously, this year... You don't have Micah Parsons. You don't have Yitor Grossmatos. You only returned four starters on that defense. So those losses, they certainly hurt. But you know, what were some of the other big problems early in the uh, early in the game that we saw from this defense? And you know, the first two games of the season, really. Well, for for college football, it's easy to point at secondaries at not being very good. That's something that I'd say is common across college football. And you could point to that to Penn State. Sure, they gave up 120 yards to Chris Olave. They gave up 118 or sorry, 111 yards to Garrett Wilson. That's understandable if you would want to criticize that. But in my mind, those numbers are generated from the fact that they just could not get any pressure on Justin Fields at all. He had all day to work against Penn State, and you can't do that against a guy who very well could win the Heisman Trophy in a couple months. Um, He just had all day to throw the ball to his wideouts, which are obviously giving him a lot of help. 
Um, Penn State has yet to find a guy like Etor Grossmontos or uh, Micah Parsons who can just be an ultimate disruptor and make you know the opposing quarterback's life a living hell. Um, Shaka Tony, we thought, might be the guy. He had a really nice showing late in the game against Indiana last week. He had sacks on consecutive plays, and then he had uh, a quarterback rush on to play after. And, you know, Shaka Tony played fine against um, Ohio State. Uh, as I take a look at the box score here, I th- he might, yeah, he had one tackle, didn't get a sack, only two sacks in total from the Nittany Lions. So, I mean, that shows that they could not get to the quarterback. And, you know, give credit to the Ohio State offensive line, obviously a very talented unit. But if you're only pressuring the quarterback once, like every six or seven plays, you can't win football games. Yeah, pressure um, was absolutely huge, especially on Saturday. Nittany Lions just could not shake Justin Fields. He was spot on all game, um, had great touch on his pass, and was was shredding the defense. Um, So, yeah, definitely I I think a guy like Jason Owe is someone who needs to step up, step into that role. He's supposed to be um, an up-and-comer with the high ceiling. But the thing that I noticed um, a lot, on Saturday that I, that I kept yelling at my TV was tackling. I thought I thought the Penn State defense was just looking like Swiss cheese out there. Holes everywhere. Uh, they weren't filling gaps well, and, and, and when they did, um, Ohio State, Master Teague was just bouncing off tacklers, and th- that's something where especially I, I, I understand that the, the Penn State defense is young, um, at least – the linebackers are young and a lot of their key pieces, but that's something that that's just beating beating yourself. You have to have to make the plays. Of course, they're going to be Justin Flays. Excuse me, Justin Fields is going to um, make plays. He's going to beat you, but um, you have to make plays and and bring them down when they're presented to you. And I don't think the the Penn State defense did that, especially on third down. I think for me, really one of it wasn't really a problem, but the abs- the absence of Jesse Lucchetta in the first half against Ohio State really did show that there are some, you know, leadership. There needs to be some more leadership on the defense, I think. And when you talk about missing, like, a guy like a Micah Parsons, I think a guy that could fill his shoes is a Brandon Smith. But I think he's been a little inconsistent uh, in the first two weeks. He did get the sack on Justin Fields. It was a bone-crushing hit. And I think he shows flashes of being a really good player, but I just think he's still a young guy, and I think consistency is an issue. He's also, like Donaldson mentioned, he's a guy who's missed a couple tackles. He'll go for that big hit, but sometimes he'll whiff. And I think when you do that, there that is the negative side to hitting like that. But, yeah, I think that that's really something that the Penn State defense felt this past weekend, missing Jesse Lucchetta, missing a leader, missing that voice, the experience even though he hasn't played too, too much. Franklin did say he viewed him as a starter last year, so filling that spot from Lucetta's absence and Lance Dixon playing. Lance Dixon was fine, but he really didn't do anything that was you know, impressive. He kind of just was there. We've talked about it in the podcast, and last week, uh, you know, just being there and just kind of filling that void, really you can't do that, especially when you're a linebacker at Penn State and you're playing in Ohio State, so really – that's something that is, um, I think, moving forward, looking at Jesse Lucchetta and how he um, bounces back. And I think he had a bunch of tackles in the second half. So really, I think he's going to be um, a prime X factor for Penn State on the defensive side of the ball moving forward. 
talked about a lot of those defensive contributors, but also, you know, something that's worth talking about is the offense. You know, a lot of key contributors there as well. And, you know, we saw the electric performance from Jahan Dotson, and we'll touch on that more in a bit. But first, something I want to talk about is the running game. Uh, the Nittany Lions, they did put up 25 points and 325 yards of total offense, but we only saw one running back in the game. Noah Kane exited last week against Indiana with an injury, and we expected Devin Ford, you know, we all talked about it, to take over as the feature back, to kind of be the bell cow of that group. Um, with Kayvon Lee and Keziah Holmes kind of contributing as well, rotating in and out. Um, but instead, against Ohio State, what we saw was Devin Ford for eight carries, 36 yards, and Lee and Holmes did not get a carry. Uh, what happened with the running game on Saturday? Well, part of it certainly comes down to the fact that Ohio State just absolutely crushed Penn State's running game right out of the get-go. And that's part of the reason why they only had 44 yards on 27 carries. Obviously, 1.6 yards per rush, not great. 18 of those came from Sean Clifford, who was running for his life from the, the, Penn, or the Ohio State pass rush that really kept him on his toes all night. So against a team like Ohio State, since they're such you know a, a tough nut to crack, you have to establish a ground game in order to keep them honest and then go for the passing attack, which is what Penn State eventually figured out they had to do in the second half. But in the first half, they just kept running the ball, and it wasn't working. And I'm not sure whether that was just because they were handing the ball to Devin Ford. Uh, maybe they should have gotten Kevon Lee or Keziah Holmes more you know, engage with it to see how those guys could turn out in the absence of Noah Kane. Um, but really, I, I mean, you take a look at the numbers, Penn State's running game was just an absolute mess on, on Saturday. That's something that they're going to need to clean up against Maryland. Yeah, I mean, it definitely was a, a mess on Saturday. Nothing could could get established. Devin Ford only had eight carries. And then uh, Kavon Lee, who I know I personally talked about, thought would um, – you know, whose role would it expand as the season goes on? And, and I understand this is against Ohio State, and it's tough for um, guys who are more on the inexperienced side, like Ford, um, Holmes, and Lee, to just be thrown in there and it, be expected to produce. So I, I understand that the odds were, were stacked against them, but like DJ was saying, the, I've, I'm not entirely sure what happened, um, but the, the offensive line could probably get some more push up front um, that would be extremely helpful for the backs and the entire offense. But that run game absolutely needs to be established to open up other things uh, for the offense. So it, it might be too early to tell, but it's it's looking a little bit concerning um, without the, the, the hard-nosed running of Noah Kane and, and Journey Brown's big playability. But we'll see uh, this weekend versus Maryland how the running backs fare. I think early on in the season, as an offense, you have to create an identi- identity. You have to have an identity of who you are as an offense. And I think that that's what Kirk Scirocco and James Franklin are trying to do with the running quarterback and the RPOs, and it's not working. So, like we mentioned going in the second half, they changed that game plan. Do they move? Do they take that and move with that forward in the coming weeks and the coming games? That's yet to be seen. And I think when talking about Ali and Holmes, kind of tandem backs along with Devin Ford, they didn't get any carries. And the week before, it was a obviously back-and-forth game with Indiana as well. So both games were tight, and Kevon Lee and Keziah Holmes got carries. What I don't understand is why they didn't get carries in this last week, whether it was you know 
a rotation thing, kind of just keeping Devin Ford in. It, it just really didn't make sense to me. I don't see why you don't throw one of them out there. I mean, they did get on the field, I believe, but they didn't get carries. Um, and I think that it's it's kind of suspect to see why they didn't even you know try them out and see if they can establish a ground game with them. Because when if they do get going on, and that'll help the quarterback run more, and that'll open things up in the passing game and the RPO. So, I mean, I don't understand why you don't at least try that or at least give it a shot to see if, hey, this guy's got a hot hand, let's run with him. Or, hey, this guy, it's not his night, let's keep it with Devin Ford or let's keep it with Kaziah, you know? So it it just doesn't make sense to me. It didn't make sense to me. And I, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty positive that moving forward they are going to really get that rotation going because I think that that's really what – you want to see if you're a Penn State fan, you want to see those running backs going and get, you know, that progression on offense and open up things in the passing game as well. You know, I think it was DJ that said it, 27 carries in the game from Penn State and, you know, only eight from Devin Ford, but I think the number was 18 carries from Sean Clifford and then another one by Will Levis. But, you know, running the ball, Sean Clifford did a fairly good job of that. The stats don't indicate it because he was sacked so many times, only had five yards total, but when he did have those designed runs, they were a little bit more effective. Um, And through the air, he did have some decent numbers, 18 of 30, 281 yards, and three touchdowns, all to Jahan Dotson. Did have the one bad interception, but aside from that, guys, do we think that Clifford's performance against Ohio State, do those stats tell the whole story, or, or are we missing something here? Well, we can go back to what Donaldson said about Penn State's performance in general. Slow start, eventually picked it up, and it was just a little bit too late for them to do that. That's what happened last week against Indiana as well. As we all know, Clifford had a, an awful first half with two really terrible interceptions, and then he kind of took control of the game in the second half and put Penn State back in it. You know, he, you know to, to use a cliche, he put the team on his back in the second half of that game, and they almost won. Now against an opponent like Ohio State. Granted, Indiana is a good football team, but Ohio State is one of the premier football teams in the entire nation. Um, You know, you can't do that. You can't get off to a slow start against Ohio State and expect to come back and have a great performance in the second half and win. That's just too much to ask for anyone, too much to ask for Sean Clifford, too much to ask for any player in the country. Um, And, of course, he's got that one interception on there. Um, You can pretty much throw that out as that was mostly just a desperation drive to try to get back into it. Other than that, 18 for 30, 281 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, I think those are encouraging numbers because, like we said, he got off to a slow start, but it wasn't the disastrous start that he had against Indiana. Um, That's something that he and the team are going to need to work on in practice is just finding a way to get explosive immediately. And because the offense runs through him, it's easy to put a little bit of the blame on him, but he needs his receivers to help out. He needs you know them to get open. He needs his running backs to 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 help out and and find the open lanes and probably most importantly he needs his offensive line to step up because you know Ohio State's defensive line just terrorized him all night he was scrambling all day that's why he had 18 rushes on the ground um, so if if the pieces can can come together and really uh, you know perform the way that that they were intended to then I do think that there's potential for Sean Clifford to really turn this season around he's he's shown signs that it can't happen yeah. Uh, bridging over from DJ's segment, I think Clifford, I'd say you could describe his season so far as up and down, um, but I don't think there have been many downs outside of just the three um, horrible turnovers. Um, con- considering 
how much, uh, at least the past two games, how much, how many um, players have been in his face just constantly. The receivers are young. They're struggling to get open. Um, so, yeah, I don't – to answer the question, I don't think stats do tell the whole story. Um, and then there's another thing that I really admired about Clifford on that I saw on Saturday was the fight. Sean Clifford was rallying the troops down to the very end. He was he was fired up on the field. He had the energy. He was showing the heart and the effort, and that's something that I value in a quarterback. And it's not like Clifford is is bad. I think he gets way too much uh, trash from like uh, I, I I see fans talking all the time like oh Clifford's not the guy like oh he's not Trace. Clifford is not Clifford is not that bad, and I I think he's had a, a very solid two. First two weeks, he's got to clean some stuff up, but um, I'm looking forward to see if he can take that next step going forward. So Donaldson just made a point where I think something stuck out to me in thinking back and what Coach Franklin said this week. He said that after the loss to Ohio State, a few players stepped up and spoke to the team in the locker room. He didn't name names, and I'm not saying Clifford was one of them, but it seems like Sean Clifford is starting to take that team leader uh, role, he's starting to step up and kind of put the blame on him. I know in weeks past he has said, like, this is on me, like, this is on me. Um, but he can sound like a broken record sometimes when he says, you know, I'll look at the tape, I'll look at the tape. And Franklin does tend to do the same thing. So really when you get too repetitive there, you really got to be careful in terms of, you know, falling into, you know, that mindset of where, okay, you know, rewind, you know, we got to do the same thing and, you know, or not do the same thing, excuse me, actually change things and do different. Um, and I think that that's something that if Sean Clifford wants to take take the next step, I think that he's really got to change his mindset. Um, and I think that last week he did play well. Two for seven in the first half was not really his fault. He was pressured. And, again, that was the run-dominated first half where the run calls were, you know, bountiful. And I think that... Really, with him, he hasn't stepped up against the you know premier teams in the Big Ten. I mean, he did play pretty well against Ohio State, but you know he really has seen positive performances against you know. But if he wants to take the next step, he really has to you know improve his game against top contenders. I think looking at the schedule, there's going to be opportunities to do that. And I think really he has to you know be game. He has to be that leader. He has to be that guy for Penn State, and talking about comparison to a Trace McSorley, he's going to get that his whole career. And I think really in terms of blocking it out, he has to do that moving forward and step up as a leader of the team. Okay, last thing from the offense before we move into the Maryland game, because I know that's on all of our minds, but Jahan Dotson, you want to talk about a coming out party. Eight catches, 144 yards, had those three touchdowns and a couple of sweet back-to-back catches against cornerback Sean Wade for the Buckeyes. So, did that game put Dotson on the map? And I guess what are we feeling about Dotson right now? Oh, absolutely, it put him on the map. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get to write a feature about him um, after the game, uh, and Franklin took notice. He mentioned in his press conference that in the past Penn State have had have had guys like like an Allen Robinson or a Chris Godwin or a Mike Gesicki, KJ Hamler that defenses have consistently had to game plan for that one guy, and he said that. Jahan is stepping up right now, meaning he could, in fact, be that guy for Penn State. And they needed it. I mean, the wide receiving room was thin going into the year. So many young guys, 
only guys that were really returning that were big contributors last year were Dotson and uh, Cam Sullivan-Brown and Daniel George were con- contributors a little bit. It helps that they got Fryermuth back, but you know, in terms of the of the speedy receiver streaking down the field, they needed that, and I think they may have found it with Dotson. Like you said, all of this came against Sean Wade, who very well could be a top-10 pick in next year's NFL draft, so that is an absolutely encouraging sign, uh, both for Sean Clifford, for Jahan Dotson, and for Penn State's offense in general. Yeah, without a doubt, this game put Jahan Dotson on the map. I mean, I always knew that you know, he's a, a speedy guy. You can take the top off a of defense and uh, get behind the secondary and um, you know catch a catch a deep ball for a score. But I never. I mean, those catches were spectacular. I mean, those two circus catches back to back. I mean, I was feeling pretty uh, dejected um, at that point in the game. But those catches really made my emotions do a 180. They were fantastic. I didn't think Jahan Dotson could be that guy who who goes up and and gets the contested balls and really, you know, put put the offense on his back. You got to give credit to Sean Clifford. He threw he was the on the on the other end of those passes. But I mean, yeah, I I think like DJ kind of said after in the press conference Franklin said he mentioned all those guys. He said we need that we need a guy. We need someone to be that guy. And I think Dotson um, really showed that he has the potential to be that guy for this Penn State offense going forward. Career highs for Dotson, uh, eight catches, 144 yards, three touchdowns. It was a spectacular night for him, and I think that he really set himself up as you know, that top dog, that top guy, top target for Sean Clifford. And as DJ wrote this past week, Penn State has found a new diamond in the rough. Shout out to DJ's article. Um, and I think that it's interesting because not only did he have a great performance, but I think this will open up, you know, possibilities for other wide receivers to get involved and get a little more, you know, get a couple more balls thrown their way. Because I think now with Dotson's performance on the national level, you know, college football is there, you know, everyone is watching that game and, I think that that'll open up lanes for maybe, you know, more attention for a Parker Washington or maybe Keandre Lambert-Smith or Daniel, Daniel George as well. So I think that this is a positive thing for the Penn State offense. Obviously, Dotson's a, you know, a good player, and I think that hopefully this helps his confidence moving forward and he plays consistently and not, maybe not have eight catches, 144 yards and three touchdowns, but have five, six catches a game, have close to 100 yards, have a touchdown or something like that in that realm of in those realm of numbers, and then open up you know opportunities for for other guys on the in the wide receiver room. So we talked about the offense, a couple of t- good takeaways, a couple of bad for Penn State in terms of moving forward. But enough from the Ohio State game. Let's move into Maryland now. We'll go into more detail about it on the actual pregame show on Saturday. But you know the Maryland Terrapins one and one on the season. Had a bad season-opening loss at Northwestern and then uh, continued with a thrilling overtime win last week against Minnesota. So uh, I'll ask you guys, who are some names that we should be on the lookout for this Saturday uh, when the Terrapins come to town? Sorry to take the obvious one, guys, but uh, I am going to go with quarterback uh, Talia Tagovailoa. Uh, You know, he's a guy transferred from Alabama. Obviously, he's the younger brother of Tua Tagovailoa, who, as we know, was a a Heisman contender in all his years in college, is now the starting quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. So good quarterbacking runs in the family. And uh, just like how Jahan Dotson had his coming-out performance for Penn State, 
Uh, Tagovailoa had his coming out performance for Maryland. 26 for 35 through the air, 394 yards, had three touchdowns through the air and two more on the ground. Uh, there's a guy who put the team on his back to win the game. Uh, that was a game that many were expecting Minnesota to come out and dominate, considering that that Maryland got shellacked the week before against Northwestern, 45 to three. Now they come back and they win this game, 45-44 in overtime. That is a huge confidence booster for a Maryland Terrapins team who now comes into Beaver Stadium with revenge on the the mind. I'm sure we'll get into it later, but everyone remembers that 59 nothing game from last year. Um, so, so you know, they've got the mentality and they've got the star player to, to come into Beaver Stadium and pull off an upset. Yeah, Tulia Tagovailoa is definitely going to be a force to be reckoned with for the for the Nittany Lions. Their third dual-threat quarterback they'll be facing in back-to-back-to-back weeks. So it'll be interesting to see how they go about handling him and his abilities. Um, I'm going to go with – Tagovailoa isn't the only name on the Maryland offense, despite – um, what you may be hearing. He also has a lot of weapons. Dante Demas Jr., one of the best wide receivers in the Big Ten, um, will be joining is joins him on the offensive side of the ball. And also Jay Sean Jones, um, both the top targets for Tagovailoa. Um, we've seen last week Chris Olave um, took advantage of the Penn State secondary um, a little bit. I know there were some. I know Joey Porter Jr. was having a good game. He got knocked out with an with an injury and. Um, fields and Olave took advantage of that but nonetheless I think absolutely uh, the secondary is going to have to watch out for these two weapons and uh, what the Maryland offense can put together uh, with them and their electric quarterback. I'm going to go back to Tagovailoa real quick um, to kind of highlight you know the past two weeks because DJ did say you know he had a very impressive game against Minnesota last week his best of his career obviously his young career but, you know, Franklin said, you know, it's hard not to be impressed with what he did last week. And you have to respect that if you're the Penn State defense. But in his first start against Northwestern, only 14 to 25, 94 yards passing and three picks. So, you know, a tale of two starts for Tagovailoa. He has a lot of upside and, you know, using his legs, as DJ did highlight, you know, 59 yards on the ground last week and two touchdowns is solid numbers. And... He's under six foot. He's five eleven, so he's you know a little smaller. But Franklin, you know, talking about you know ways to beat this guy and ways for Penn State to ex- uh, succeed on the defensive side of the ball is bat passes down. It's something that they really haven't done this year at all. And when you have a smaller quarterback, definitely in terms of you know success on the defensive side of the ball, you got to bat balls down and you got to get to him because he's going to be elusive. He's going to escape and use his legs. And I think that there's a lot of um, you know, upside to his game and a lot of, you know, challenges that he provides for the Penn State defense. So it'll be worth monitoring how the younger brother of current Dolphins quarterback Tua Tagovailoa does this week. Certainly a threat both with his arm and running the ball. Um, For the Nittany Lions to bounce back this week, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but to get their first Big Ten win of the season, what do they need to do? Who are the key performers? And how does Penn State win this game at home against Maryland? They're not just looking for their first Big Ten win. They're also looking to avoid starting 0-3 for the first time since 2001. It has been 20 years since Penn State could have had a start this bad. And, and I put this bad in quotation marks because I really don't think that this 0-2 Penn State team is bad at all. They just had some unlucky breaks. They've had to play some very tough opponents. But there are things that they need to clean up. And, and one thing I've harped on before in this podcast, and I'm going to mention it again, 
the pass rush really needs to come together. They can't be giving the quarterback all day to throw the ball, uh, especially a guy like Tagovailoa who's really seemed to have taken that next step for Maryland. They need to put the pressure on him quick. They need to set the tone for the game by getting him to, to him quickly. If they can rattle him early, then I think there's a chance that Penn State comes away with a big win. Yeah, absolutely. Pass rush is a huge area of em- emphasis. Um, but I'm going to go with something that we also harped on a lot earlier in the po- or in the in the podcast, and that is the run game of Penn State. I think the run game absolutely needs to be established early on against a Maryland a run defense that allowed Muhammad Ibrahim to rush for 41 times for 207 yards in um, the shootout uh, versus Minnesota. So I think if Penn State sees those results, uh, I think they have to really really emphasize the ground game, pounding the rock, and it could open up other things uh, for Sean Clifford to uh, start slinging it downfield in the RPO game as well. I think running the ball is something that th- these Nittany Lions have to do if they want their first victory of the season. I'm going to highlight something that we haven't talked about in this podcast yet, um, special teams. Special teams looked much better in Week 2. Jordan Stout hitting that gift of a 50-yard field goal, if you'll call it that. And, you know, I think that that's really something that moving forward could be a potential strength for the team. They looked very bad in week one, but in week two, improving on a lot of facets of that game. And Joe Lurig, you know, last year really brought a jolt into the special teams room. And I think that I I believe that Franklin thinks that they can make some plays on special teams, whether that's blocking punts, blocking kicks making some kicks, you know, being consistent in the kicking game as well and kickoff kickoff return and kicking off as well. So I think that there are some chances for Penn State to make some plays, and that could be an X factor in this week's game against Maryland. Certainly the special team's worth monitoring. We've seen Parker Washington take quite a few fair catches on those opening kickoffs, so we'll see if that transitions over to the Maryland game as well. Uh, you know, you've heard it from the insiders here on this week's podcast. Be sure to tune into. Com Radio on Saturday for more Penn State football coverage from the Com Radio Football Insiders. For Andrew Field, DJ Bauer, and Zach Donaldson, I'm Andrew Destin, and thank you for listening.